and there's already a bit yellow blood in my in my veins. Already had a crazy 80 months here, but it just keeps on uh, keeps on going. Welcome to All in Yellow, the official Norwich City podcast. Pookie! Sensational! Who else? Hello and welcome to the latest episode of All in Yellow, the official Norwich City podcast. This week's guest is under-18s academy coach and former academy player Greg Crane. Greg started his Norwich City journey nearly 30 years ago and has spent most of his adult life coaching with the Canaries, leading to his current role with the under-18s. A well-known character in local football as well, Greg is fondly remembered by fans of non-league teams Kingsley and Lowestoft Town for his contributions on the pitch. No Alice sadly this week, but she'll be back for next week's episode. In the meantime, here is my chat with Greg Crane. So Greg, hello, thank you, welcome to the podcast, it's great to have you here today. First of all, have you been listening to the All in Yellow series? I've listened to a few, I've listened to a few. Not, not all of them. I mean, I'm a busy man, really. I'm a busy man. I, I like to listen to other stuff as well, but I do tend to uh, listen to a few of them. Okay, he started the podcast with a lie there. He hasn't listened to one of them, I'm sure. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I've listened to three. Darren Huckabee, Neil Adams and Steve Weaver. Right, okay, that's a good trio. That's a good trio. You're well set yeah. for... You know what to expect from an All in Yellow podcast. So, Greg... I know you really well. Obviously, I've been working at the club and, and you work with me at the, the Community Sports Foundation for a while as well. But for those watching and listening, just give us a little intro into your background because you started as an academy player yourself, didn't you? Yeah, my, uh, my love affair with the club goes back to when I was um, eight years old. And uh, I was lucky enough to be at um, North Dean School in Great Yarmouth. And... Uh, so I don't know how it worked. I, I just got invited from my school to come up to a trial evening at Trous, um, the, old, the old club's old training ground. And uh, it was like a selection process at the time. So I was just sort of there and I went through many trials. And uh, Colin Watts, uh, the father figure to me now that he is, because he's known me all these years, was there. And obviously uh, I sort of stayed in the club. I got um, signed as an under nine. Um, I got all the way through to under 16s when you have the decision of the scholarship. I was rewarded with a scholarship, which was three years back in the day. And then um, I did my three years as a scholar. Uh, absolutely loved my time as a scholar. And then it got to the end of the season and uh, I unfortunately didn't get a professional contract. Um, but I was very fortunate enough uh, to get offered a coaching role and sort of stayed ever since. So in terms of sort of my sort of affair with the club that's sort of where we are today why do you think perhaps we never saw greg crane run out at carrow road for the first team i didn't have legs down i didn't have legs I, 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 but people who have seen me play non-league no i can't turn mate so uh, unfortunately the, the speed of the game was just a little bit too much for me at, at, at the time even though i tell the scholars now i i, I should have made it. i should be still playing in the prayer they i join in a couple of times they don't believe me mate they don't believe me but you did go on to have a great non-league career locally with Kings Lynn and Lowestoft Town. Tell us a little bit about what you achieved on the pitch there. Yeah, to be honest, I, I absolutely love my, non, my non-league days and, and they were great times. I mean, I, I, as soon as I left here, I went to play for Lowestoft for a season or two. I think we won the league. And then uh, at the time, I don't think Lowestoft went up or didn't show the, sort of the ambition at the time to, to sort of go up. So I left and uh, went to join Kings Lynn at the time and that was under uh, a guy called Tommy Smith who was the manager he sort of signed me and then within two months Keith Webb my reserve team manager at the time uh, or sorry the previous sort of couple of seasons then got the job to be Kings Lynn manager so it all sort of fitted into place I mean I had some great times at Kings Lynn I, I really did I played with some amazing player, uh, players there really there was a, it was a mixture there was a few up and coming young lads and a few experienced pros but it was a real good level and I do have to say, like, the club did really look after us, the Kings in at the time. And then, obviously, probably one of the highlights of my career is that we won the uh, league at Merthyr Tidville away on a, uh, on a nice sunny day. It was a nice short trip from uh, sunny Yarmouth. Tough place to go, yeah. Yeah, 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 it was. But we, it was a great time. And I played the highest level I played. That was in, in the Conference North with, with Kings Lim. I mean, I had some great times then. It ended a little bit abruptly with the sort of the uh, situation the club ended up in. 
and then I then I sort of moved back to Lowestoft and had had a few few great seasons there, and then sort of just slowly started getting to the end of my sort of cut, uh, playing days, and then I sort of started to coach a lot more on Saturdays and things like that. But I do have to say, my last sort of two seasons at, at Norwich United were brilliant for me. It was brilliant timing with a brilliant bunch of lads. I mean, I couldn't have finished the, finished my career better, and we were successful as well because I did. I did like to win. I liked to compete. I didn't like to be in teams that were just sort of um, just there and existed in the league. I think I won a lot of promotions, a lot of cups. Uh, tragically lost in three playoff finals with Lowestoft, I think. I mean, we just couldn't get over the line on that one. Um, and we won loads at Norwich United. So, I, so I, to be honest, I had a great sort of non-league career and I, I loved every minute of it. There's some stories there which just will sick me for life and I absolutely love it. It's fair to say you've seen it all certainly on a local football scene as well. But for Norwich City fans, obviously you said that your time with the club started at eight years old. While you were at the academy, I guess you're about the same age as me, Greg. You're about sort of mid to late thirties, we'll, we'll say. So who who would have been the players with you at the academy that Norwich City fans might might recognise some names? Well, firstly, I think I look a little bit younger than you, Winnie, so I'm a little bit insulted by that. But, you know, that is, that is what it is. Um, but obviously, when I, when I first came in at under nines, I think by the time we'd got to sort of under 16, there, there wasn't many of us left. I mean, I mean, the, the ones who sort of made it through and sort of played in my, my youth team days were uh, Ryan Jarvis, Danny Crow, um, Robert Eagle, and then probably the two two main ones to come out of it were Jason Shackle and Ian Henderson, they're, they're probably two biggest names that, that probably spring to mind that was sort of in my team. Dean Sinclair, I think, made a couple of appearances for the club, but not, but not many. But certainly Hendo and Shaq were the two sort of, I think, went on to have what, the best careers. I mean, Shaq's played in the Premier League for several seasons. He's played in Championship. Hendo done a bit of everything, really. I think he's played in the Champ. I think he's played abroad. I think he's played lower leagues. But yeah, I think... Them, them two probably stick to mind in terms of sort of the lads who are in my my sort of youth team. Were they always standout players or, or was it just a case of as you matured, those were the guys that seemed to fit the bill to move up into the first team ranks? Um, Hendo was an interesting one. So Hendo, Hendo joined us as uh, like under 11s. A um, little bit of a rogue from Fetford, I'll, I'll put that nicely because there's obviously uh, fans listening. Um, but yeah, he, he was sort of he was always up there. He, he was always up there with, with the sort of the best ones. He was always competing, always playing up. I mean, he makes his debut and plays in the championship at 17. So he was always sort of 17 or 18, something like that. He was always sort of there or thereabouts. He just had this real inner belief within himself that he was he was where he belonged. And Shaq was probably a little bit different. Uh, defenders probably are. They, they, they mature a little, a little bit later. So Shaq's didn't come into this sort of system until later on. Um, I mean, we played together alongside each other. I, I like to say I, I made him look good or he likes to say I was so bad that made him look even better. So, so it, however people people want to take that one. But yeah, they're, they're always up there and they're always pushing themselves and never never settled. That was one thing I probably remember about them, probably remember about them both was their mindset. What about the first team players that were there at the time while you were in the academy? Who were your big heroes? Who were you looking up to? And did you ever cross paths with any of them? Um, I trained a lot with the first team, to be honest with you. There was a season where I pretty much was there near enough every day. Um, I used to clean, the lads don't do it now, which is a little bit of a shame for me, but I I used to clean Malky Mackay's boots. Um, Malky was brilliant for me. He, he really was. The first, I remember the first every day because they used to they used to look after us and give us some money. He walked up to me and said, "Don't ever ever ask me for your boot money. I will pay you on time every month." There you go. And he did. And he did. He, I never I never asked for the boot money. He gave it to me every month. But that's how he sort of paired it up at the time. And, and Malky was sort of really um, really good for me. He taught, he taught me some things, some some nasty things as well, like. To, to do as a centre half and little tricks of the trade, and obviously Flem, Flem, Flem was there, and he ends up managing me at Lowestoft, and now he's first team at um, Southampton. So it's it's just amazing how that sort of goes. And Gary Holt as well, so end up end up playing at, at Lowestoft with Gary Holt, and I mean, he, unsung hero he was. So he was a centre half dream. He did all my running for me, so I could play a little bit more. I mean, what more could I want? But them, them two, and obviously Hux. 
Huck was in, in there at the time. I didn't like to go up against him because he just he just made me look silly. And it, it was quite funny sometimes because obviously my youth team coach was A.D. Boothroyd. And A.D. got into us that mentality is that, lads, if you step across there, you have to show that, that you're part of it and that you, you, you can handle being over there. And obviously, I don't know, a couple of times we, we used to train quite hard. So... I'm obviously flying to tackles because Hux was too quick for me. As I said, I couldn't, couldn't really move. And a couple of times I catch him. And I know, oh, don't you touch Darren Huckabee. We've got a game on that day. So I think a few times I got sent back down but like because I was tackling. But he, he was just too quick for me. I'd never tell him that to his face. I still tell him today that I, I could have handled him. Well, I'd like to think he's an avid watcher of the uh, All in Yellow podcast, so he'll know now your secret's out, Greg. But uh, Aidy Boothroyd and, and your other coaches, is there anything that from your time in the academy you picked up on their coaching style and you've brought into your own role now as the under-18s coach? Yeah, I, I like to take bits from everyone. So I, li- I like to be me. I like to be me and my sort of personality. But I do take a lot, I'm not going to lie, I do take a lot from Aidy and sort of the way, the way he was. I, he was bubbly energetic on a daily basis um pushed you hard like pushed you to the limit and like made you really sort of earn your sort of your place in the team and physically how you felt and about your next contract that you earn so he's really good with sort of stuff like that um but yeah that, that's Ailey was sort of the main one I sort of try and do really to be fair but then obviously I pick up stuff from Keith Webb Keith Webb was was good for me, and then I pick up stuff from coaches that I've worked with, past and present, or now little bits and bobs. But there's no sort of no one I really sort of like. I try to be exactly like that guy. I just try and be the best version of uh, Greg Crane. <laughs> the very best version of Greg Crane. What more can you want? Um, you obviously became an academy coach. You were up at Colney uh, before Steve Weaver, Stuart Webber's arrival. Um, compare your experiences of working in the academy in your early days as a coach to what life is like up there now. Um, so at the time, it was really quite hard. Um, I mean, I'd gone from reserve team captain, training with the first team, under 19, to get into release to the next season, I'm coaching the under 11s, under 12s. So for something like for a lot of people, they might have found that tough. Um, but I just think I honestly didn't really care what other people thought. I just if I wasn't going to be a player. I just wanted to coach because I've got the passion, so much passion for football that still runs in my veins. Like today, I, I, st- I still love it. Um, so sort of, yeah, it was quite quite a tough transition, but I sort of managed my way, sort of navigating my way through it a little bit. And obviously the early days, I was just sort of learning. I mean, my first season, I think I had the Murphy twins. I was only like, I was assistant coach to Dougie, Liv- uh, Dougie Evans. I was only assistant coach to him and Phil Bug for the 11s and 12s. So I was just learning my trade, learning how the coaching game worked and, and what, you should, what you can do, what you can't do, all this type of things, how you can develop. And as I got older, I sort of, I changed all different roles. So I've, I think I've done now every age group from 9s to 18s. So at some stage I've done the 9s, 10s and, and so on. Um, so that's just sort of how I shape it, that, it's just been really different in terms of like different stages. So I remember Colney when I played just sort of nothing, just grass to training where it was just two floodlights. And then we sort of slowly get the main building over there where it's like a massive, massive thing. And then we sort of separate into the port cabins at the time. And then we think they're, they're really brilliant because we've got our own sort of separate um, sort of building. And then to what you see before us now, I mean, now it's just, Outstanding! I, I, I can't lie. From from seeing the slope down the back to the three G and still having the dome, and just in terms of the facilities alone, I mean, it's it's outstanding. It, it it really is what we've done and what the guys have done at the club to sort of take us to the next level, to attract better players, to be able to play better football, um, to condition our players better, to analyse before. It's it's outstanding. It really is. I can't I can't sort of describe it any better than that. Really. Yeah, so just just talk us through how the new facilities help you to do your job better. Um, for one, you play on flat pitches. Always helps. <laughs> it does help. I, I don't think we're trying to create elite footballers. They don't need to go play in the non-league slopes just just yet. That, that, that's just a simple thing. I mean, the, the facilities in the gym, 
to help condition our players. So I think if people watch football now, every player is athletically brilliant. I mean, whether that's they can run all day, whether they're physically big or, or whatever is amazing. We've got so many cameras all across all across the uh, training ground to film from different angles to get different pictures to work on different units so, I mean little things like that the 3G if if it's waterlogged pitches for whatever reason if it's been snowed on we can train on the 3G or, or we can go in the dome we've got up team equipment so we've got I mean it just sort of helps provide these young lads with give themselves the best opportunity to sort of develop th themselves really and hopefully have a career uh, have you noticed uh, a real change in the environment, not just from the facilities that are there, but the way people conduct themselves, the way they interact, just the whole performance environment? Do you feel like that's really been elevated? Yeah, definitely. I think I think I think now is probably the time that we're joined up the most in terms of first team first team down. I'm not saying any any regime has been better or worse than sort of before in terms of managing up, managing down, but. Just a crossover with, with everything. So like Stuart Webber watches the under-13s play, for example, or the under-15s. I mean, he used to come to all the 15s games at 7 o'clock at night and sort of the environment that we have is like a joined-up approach. Like Jay, Jay Stowe speaks to Chris Domagala all the time and about the conditioning, about who's doing what in the 23s. I mean, Dave speaks to Eddie and CJ, the first-team coaches, so in terms of sort of the environment, there's a real sort of overlap between the two. Um, and we obviously talk as much as we can. I know we're in separate buildings at the moment, but they, they, they come over across a lot. We sort of, we leave them to it sort of thing, but, you know, because they've got obviously priorities. But if they need us, they sort of come across and we have chats and, and we meet and talk. And, and the, but the main thing is we play star football and, and the academy uh, tend to win often Stuart, well, Stuart doesn't like that but you know he's tried to get in a few ringers a couple of times but you know we, we like a challenge we like a challenge but now just having that sort of camaraderie really between sort of them not where we sit on each other's toes all the time and we're talking 24-7 but we know that they're there for us and when we need them and we can always sort of turn and that's sort of the environment that we create and just little things like the hard working environment like just being in at 7 o'clock in the morning now is the norm 7 seven thirty in the morning is the norm like to work hard and you're still here at seven o'clock at night and uh, it's just little things like that and walking past when nobody's watching if you see a little bit of litter at colney you pick it up you put it in the bin like, regardless whether you see someone's watching or whether it's your rubbish or what that's that's not just staff that's players parents anyone who sort of comes across into colney that's sort of the environment that we expect there sort of that hard working culture and caring about what they're sort of doing in their sort of their home, really. I like to think, like we call Colney, or well, my definitely my missus would call it my home, as I'm here so much. But you know, that, that, that's another debate. So that crossover and interaction with everyone from Stuart to the first team, it helps you shape the philosophy in terms of how people behave and conduct themselves around Colney. But how does it help you to shape the way that your under 18s play? Because I'm assuming your job is to make sure that they are ready to slot into the 23s and then the first team when called upon. Yeah, obviously, obviously, it's like you you talk to talk to the first team guys. Steve has a closest relationship with Stu, so they obviously talk a lot in terms of um, pathways for players and who who might be the next one across and how they're going to manage the transition from from there to there. Um, it's interesting because the way I look at it is not every one of our scholars are going to play for our first team. It, it, that's that's the fact. That's the reality. They might not even play football after their scholarship. Is is the fact for some? Some might go into non-league. Some might join other clubs. So we try we try as best we can to play like the first team. We play a different system with four four two, but they play a different type. But we we have similar sort of traits with the fullbacks pushing on and people rotating and moving around. So we do have similar traits. Um, but also we've got to be mindful of that some of our lads aren't aren't always going to be that, that for Norwich's first team. They might be for someone else's first team. So we've got to be real careful that we don't just... Well, if our player can't, can't play and pass like the way Daniel wants, but he might be okay for another team in another division where he's a bit more stronger in defence and he, he can't really play, but he can defend and he'll block and he'll kick or 
he might be a big target man and Daniel wants a moving type centre forward. So, so we have to be careful, but as best we can, we do try and sort of follow the style. And obviously, we have a lot of boys go from 18s to 23. So obviously, I sit right next to Al and Dave. So it's really kind of sort of, they watch as many games as they can. So they get a flavour and we sort of dip them in and out. So they get a little taste, come back out, and then they sort of, sort of learn. But that's sort of the approach that we have to try and make sure that we're giving the lads the best chance to play for our first team, but we're also giving them the best opportunity to hopefully get somewhere in their career, if that makes sense. So talk us through a typical week or what a typical week might look like. I'm sure there are no typical weeks at the moment with COVID and everything like that, but for an under-18 player, so are they are they still doing some education or is it is on the pitch the whole time? Just Just talk us through that. Yeah, so how it works in the minute, I think they've been doing a lot of Zoom educations so they, they do that all day Monday. And uh, one, of the, one of the things we've followed is sort of the first team have four-day leads to games. So we train Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, play Saturday. So normally how it works is we'd, they'd come in, train Tuesday morning, do some gym afterwards, have lunch and sort of go home and do education in the afternoon. Same again on Wednesday, sort of train, gym, sort of education in the afternoon. Thursday, sort of, you're slowly starting to focus on the game at the weekend. And then with in terms of not overloading with gym and training and things like that. So you have a session on Thursday and then sort of you're in Friday morning and then you're sort of off to relax, ready for the game. Then they have Sunday off and then, then they repeat. And that's sort of their, their sort of working week. And physically, for an under-18, are you expecting, obviously not exactly the same levels as the first team, but would they undergo a similar fitness programme to the first team? Yeah, definitely. I think our guys, Costas and Jay, they like to push them physically because I know one thing that the first team like is players to be able to run and run all day, which not just our first team, but pretty much the game demands now uh, in any sort of league that you, that you do end up playing but yeah they, we do expect a certain level um, I think we have to be careful at the stage we are um, at 18s is because you might have some early developers who are physically developed and they're not going to get any bigger you might have some late developers who are maturing a lot later than some of them who their muscles might not have caught up or their legs are longer than our their body and so so we have to be careful with some of them but we do expect a uh, a certain level of sort of physical performance from each player and each individual position. So I'm not expecting our centre-halves to make overlaps as much as a full-back, for example. Or I hope not. It depends how, how adventurous our, our centre-halves are. But, you know, in terms of, sort of some of the physical demands will be very positional-specific as well, but they've got to be excellent at that, really. And I think that's one thing our guys are, are very good at. And we have a few people in the background as well doing a lot of... Um, data and statistics on on sort of the physical performance as well and then you talk about the the lead into match day just explain the under 18 fixture program and how that works yeah so what we, we i think we're in we have 27 category one teams and then we're sort of split off into north and south so we have um i think 13 teams in our league now I think in the North have 14. And we, it's like a normal league table. We play everyone twice, um, home and away. So we get to go to their training ground. They, they come to ours and it's normally every Saturday. But then obviously if games get, um, especially this season, games have been moved for COVID regulations. Something's happened at our club or theirs and then you need to move a game. You just play midweek. Um, but one thing I think we've prided ourselves on this season is we've had an under-17s programme which has been put on by the Premier League. But also we look for a, a variety of fixture too. Again, like I said earlier about um, different levels and lads playing at different levels, they have to experience that as well. So it's not just playing Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham. It's about playing other teams like Wroxham. We played Wroxham pre-season. It's playing Leonori in Southend. It's Cambridge. It's just teams you don't normally play. Ipswich, Derby. I mean, we're, 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 one thing we try and pride ourselves on is that we, because we are out in the sunny side of Norfolk and it's sometimes a logistical nightmare but we're, we're normally prepared to travel and go play these teams to again it's what's what's best for the player and what do they need and what challenges do they need to help them sort of go but that's sort of our programme at the moment is that we play every Saturday but we have three sort of things and then uh, 
we have a few cup competitions um, to play in, which is always a big highlight for the, for the lads. Um, obviously, the youth cup that ended in disappointment the other day for the lads. Um, but as again, it's another experience for them. So it's uh, we try and have a variety program really as best we can. And um, we probably would have played more local men's teams. But unfortunately, their, their seasons have been cancelled for the time being. But yeah, we, we, we have a set league, but we try as best we can to add uh, a bit of variety into our sort of, into our programme. I saw A.D. Boothroyd, your, your old coach, say in the week about how the job of a, like a younger teams manager, uh, you know, for him, the, the 21s, for yourself, the 18s, the 23s. It's an almost impossible job because you love winning. Your players are keen competitors, but actually perhaps the measure of success isn't always the results on the pitch. Uh, is that something you have to accept as an under-18 manager? Yeah, I think you have to accept it as a development coach. For me, if you're a development coach, I think you have to um, understand the process. And it's not about winning every week, or certainly not for me. I mean, this is, this is my, my sort of personal view. If you just win every week, you don't learn to lose. You don't know how to react. You don't know how to pick yourself up off, off the ground. I mean, listen, listen. everybody wants to win. The lads want to win themselves. But it, they've really got to understand it's, it's the process on how you're going to, how do you win? How do you win every week, Like which the first team do? But also, okay, we've lost that game or we've drawn that game. We should have won. How do I then combat that? What do I need to do next week to make sure that it doesn't happen again because obviously ultimately when you get to the first team it is pretty much win not win at all costs win with we like to win with our philosophy other teams like to win at all costs so it's really under, them understanding how they're going to do that what they need to do each week and what we need to do as staff as well to help help them and uh, like I said in terms of the variety of the program they that is part of it as well so like we expose some of our, our younger lads to um, situations they might not be ready for but sometimes you just got to throw them in to see if they thrive and sometimes like they do like I mean Max Aaron is a prime example I mean how many other managers would throw an 18 year old undebuted player in away in a local derby I mean and he's thrived he's thrived ever since and to be fair so have all the lads that have gone across there which is credit to uh Daniel and, and us really that, that they sort of stepped across and they've been able to, to sort of thrive in that I think if it was just win 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 at all costs every week right, that wouldn't sit right with me sit no right it's a difficult me. difficult balance to strike I guess because you don't want to to give these players an acceptance of oh well we lost losing's still got to hurt hasn't it and you've still mm -hmm. got to find a way to bounce back but it's not necessarily the measure of success in your role yeah yeah definitely I uh, well, I think the key, the key is like how sometimes we have to react in moments to let them know that that's not acceptable. So if they drop down below our standards, so if we, we feel like they just haven't worked hard, I mean, that's one of our main things that we base everything we do, that, that that's not acceptable. That's losing to me, is that we don't play what we, what we practice, what we don't do and how we try and develop up. That's losing to me, not necessarily a scoreline. Um, but yeah, it's in terms of we, we can sort of manage moments as well. So, like, you can manage a loss however you want or you can choose a loss to really jump on them. And because and, some managers, you know, when, when you get to the end game, it's, it's their mortgage on the line, it's their, it's their livelihood, it's their food to feed their family. I mean, it's... So, so you can sort of manipulate it a little bit as and when you want, but they need to know that it hurts. And I mean, every, every player, I'd imagine every player going through their childhood, being good at football always wants to win always wants to win so they, they, they do have to uh, they do have to take the losses as well but again like I said losing for me would be not us doing our principles which is mainly starting off with working hard that would be my most uh, annoying thing so when when Steve Weaver gets together with you at the start of the season how does he say Greg look this is how I'm going to measure and define the success that you're having in your role this season? Do, do you have specific numbers that you've got to hit? Or is it just a case of across the board, I've seen, you know, progression? And how do you measure progression in those players? Um, yeah, so when I, when I spoke to Steve at the start of the season, it was like, I'm, listen, this is my first season being with the 18. So I'm sort of still very much learning my, my role in terms of full-time football because all the academy stuff, younger Dan is 
normally in the evenings you see the lads for a couple of hours and um, you sort of, they're in and they're out. Here the lads before COVID could come in all day so you could be with them, you have to understand the full-time sort of role. In terms of how, how I'm sort of judged is really, really simple for me. It's am I improving the players on the pitch? I mean, I mean that's that that's in a nutshell what what I believe my job should be. I mean, now it's judged um, on a few different things. There's like obviously technical feedback from games, so how many passes a player might have or how many shots a centre forward might have. So then then things which it's not so much exa- exactly my fault. <laughs> They're discussion points. They're discussion points on how can we improve that player or player X is not doing that, what do we need to do to help that player get to that? What do we need to do in the sessions during the week to get to that? So I think that's probably my role is sort of reviewing every sort of week, every game, every session, right? How can I do that for that player? What can I make that player uh, better at? And at the start of the season, we probably came up with three things for each player. So not 100, 101 different things and different topics and different challenges for each player because we know it's like if a player has hundreds of things going through his head in the game. He just forgets to play the game, to play the game. I mean, they've already got enough pressures in, in not, not just on football, but in life in general now, these young, these young, um, young scholars. Um, but yeah, they come up with two or three things, again, positional specific and what their strength might be. So we, I wouldn't focus everything I can on what a player can't do. I'd focus on what he can do. So... I'd try and improve the stuff that he can't do, but you know, ultimately, Tyrese is a prime example. Tyrese will be judged on can he score goals. So I'm not always going to worry about can he defend a set piece, for example. Can he can he do that? So it might be just little things like that with each with each sort of player. Um, but yeah, that's sort of pretty much how I kind of see my role is that I've just got to make the players better. And like I said, it's judged on performances live. I mean from higher people than me. So if Stuart or Daniel, or I know we've had a couple of home Saturday games where the uh, first team players staff have all come across and watched. And Emmy was watching the other day against, um, he come up in Chelsea or Arsenal, one of, one of the games at home, but Emmy's there watching. So it can be that he judges as well and has an opinion. So, it, and then that's when you get the feedback from each person. So I might speak, I'll speak to Steve straight after the game. If Neil Adams walks past me, I'll Neil, what do you, what do you think on, on Saturday about so-and-so. So he, he might know what he's working on, but I can then get some feedback off more experienced people than me and, and higher up in the game. So like I said, I try and learn and then try and pass that sort of information on to the players again to hopefully Im- improve them. So do you tend to sit down with the players individually? You know, How often do you do that to review each individual player's progression with them? Um, it, it varies. Again, you sort of vary it to... What you think a player might need? What's he going through um, on and off the pitch? Because there might be stuff he just needs to be left alone. Like if a, a kid's played a bad game, he doesn't need me to then sometimes jump on him and go, "You were terrible. You were, you weren't you weren't great today." And he's like, "I know. Thanks for making me feel even worse." So it's it's a tough balance. I think it's done on an individual basis. Um, sometimes I review individuals every game. It might be that I'm trying to really focus on, or a player's come spoke to me and said, "Greg, I really want to work on on this one at the minute. Can you sort of do me? Can you speak to me after each game?" Um, other than that, it'll probably be six weeks. Every six weeks, where you have a review with a player, um, just to get enough games in. Because it, if I work on something, or we, so not I, we work on something with a player, I wouldn't expect them to crack it within one game or two, two games. Like it, that's why we focus on three things because it takes a good season to really learn your craft in terms of certain, certain things. But yeah, it's some, some weekly, some bi-weekly and, and a lot of it's done just chatting on the pitch. A lot of my stuff that I do sort of sometimes if I'm leading a session, Steve might speak to a few or if Steve's leading, I might just go speak to one of the players and just say, what do you, what do you think? We've been working on this. What do you see? How do you see it? What can we do? I'm thinking this, you're thinking that. Let's have a little discussion about it. So it can be daily as well. So it just, just depends really on on each individual. It's interesting to hear you talk there about on the pitch and off the pitch. That's that's something that I'm guessing's probably improved in football over the last however long, maybe even since since you were a player, is understanding there's more to life than football and more going on and putting in that wider support for players. How well does the club do that now for for its young players? 
Um, a, a lot better than in my day, to be honest. But I, but I do have to say, when obviously I had the unfortunate, um, when I'd just been released, of my father passing away, in terms of, right, that was literally the week after. And I have to say, at the time, the academy manager, Sammy Morgan, was around my house every day. So it's always been embedded in the club, that sort of looking after people. So I think we're quite, quite good here. And even Delia, she probably won't remember it, wrote me a card. She wrote me a card and said, sorry to hear about your uh, loss of your father. We're always here to support you as a club. And um, yeah, there was, there was some, something along them lines, but she didn't need to do that. But that's the kind of support that the club for me has always given. But now it's just sort of gone on to new levels where we have full-time people employed. So we've got Clive and Karis and who sort of do that. We've got Matt, the psychologist as well, who sort of looks after lads if, if they need help. And Clive puts in place like a real life program for them um, where it can be like, I don't know, Clive has so many Zoom calls. I mean, it can vary from one week, one week to another. But in terms of sort of the, the off the pitch stuff as well, I think they need to learn to grow to be adults as well, though. So I think that's one thing we're, we're quite good at. We, we give them time to, to live their life as well. Like we, we don't. We don't train all hours, God sent, just just to just for the sake of it. Like this week, the lads the lads have had a week off or some days off because we haven't got a game. Well, go go be kids, go be with your family, go go now. Thank God we can see our friends and meet people outside, and uh, maybe not have too many Easter eggs, but you know, um, just 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 enjoy being a person. So I think sometimes you can get caught up in football, 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 and, and then you forget sort of the other side of stuff which is might be your family it might be your girlfriend it might be your your friends it might be another hobby that you you might want to pursue so it's not all sort of football 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 you've got to be everything here it, it's a variety of everything that the, these sort of lads can do and, and just being able to give them time as well for that because they've got to have the opportunity to to fail as well in in life i mean they're not, they're not going to learn if we just i don't know do everything for them I mean, and then as soon as they leave the club at whatever stage, they're just going to be like, oh, well, how do I get there? Or what do I do there? Or what do I do there? They, they, they need to learn life skills. And they'll only get that. I know it might be a bit cliche by living, <laughs> by, by living. And I, I suppose, yeah, I mean, we spoke to Steve Weaver the other week about it. Is 16 to 18. Some of these guys are, are away from home for the first time. And, most of us experience that going off to uni a little bit older, but 16 is quite a young age for someone to be sort of living independently and looking after themselves. What skills are given to those guys in that life program to help them deal with that? Yeah, so so they don't live on their own. <laughs> they live. They yeah, not, not entirely <laughs> independently, but away from the families. They, they haven't got a penthouse down the city, so don't go no, so, so some of the life skills, there'd be the cooking classes. So they do cooking classes. I know they do that. Um, it will be managing their time. It will be sleep coaching, um, like when they should and shouldn't sleep, um, social media posts. Um, oh, that's important for, for that age group, I'm sure, social yeah. media posts. It's really important that these lads understand what you, how you act and behave now may affect you in, in sort of future years. Again, you can only advise. It's 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 not my life to live. It's it's their life. Um, they're they're free to sort of not free to do exactly what they want, but you know they 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 have to make the choices that that they do. But in terms of educating them, I think we're really hot on giving them the best education in terms of off the pitch stuff. Now, what they choose to do with that 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 sort of for me up up to them. Yeah, you kind of give them the grounding, but then you you learn about them as they take that information and put it into practice in their lives, I guess. You, you get to understand what sort of players you've got in the academy. Yeah, and, and they have to learn to be an adult because they're obviously going from school, I'm the big I am playing for Norwich City, to I'm now a sort of, I'm looking for this to be my profession. I'm looking for to do this for sort of the foreseeable future. And they obviously learn to be an adult as well. They start getting paid, not loads not loads, just like an apprenticeship wage, but they start to have their own money. They have their own responsibilities. They've got to get up for, excuse me, work for the morning or they've got to get up for education. I mean, it's sort of over to them. So they sort of have to learn, 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 learn to sort of be an adult, really, like I sort of said earlier. They have just more responsibilities, more choices. 
that they might not get at home. And for for many, probably the majority won't necessarily progress into Norwich's first team. And, and you, I'm sure, have to be part of that difficult process of making some decisions on who can potentially move up. What have you learned from your own experience of going through that process to soften the blow, I guess, when you're going through that difficult difficult time of releasing players? Um, that, that's, anyone will tell you, that's, that's the hardest part. To sit, to sit in front of a player um, and a parent sometimes and say, look, unfortunately, your development pathway sort of stopped here. But it's not the end. That's one thing I've sort of, I've sort of prided myself on is that I will go and help any, any player that wants, wants to progress in whatever part. I take personal pride in that. Um, so I've helped. I, I mean, I get the lads. I can get the lads trials tomorrow at different various places. But also if they want helping just staying in the local area to do something or they, they want, want things to do. I'll, I'll always be there for the lads and I think, I think they know that. Um, I won't hold their hand all their life and text them every day or ring them every day and say, what are you doing? But I, but I think they know, anyone who sort of I work with or players I've worked with, their parents know, will know that I'll, I'll do everything I can to try and help that person in the next stage of their, their sort of development, whether it be at another club or whether it be in their personal life. But it's, there's no way, easy way to soften the blow. And, and, and what I've learned is that the initial reaction is, is what it is. And you're normally better off having a chat a few days later. Um, thinking, But yeah, it's sort of definitely the worst sort of, um, part, of, part, of the, part of the job. All of these different facets that you've mentioned of being a, an academy coach and the academy setup as a whole... How important is that to the progression of the club? You know, it, it kind of underpins everything that the first team are trying to achieve. It's and the model of the club's sustainability and everything like that. What is? How much do you guys understand the importance of what you're doing at the academy? I think we think it massively. I, I mean, I'm, I might be a bit biased because I've sort of come up. I'm I'm a local lad. Um, I've said it, said it previously. I'm from Great Yarmouth. Nobody judge me. It's, it's top twenty British resorts. It's top twenty British resorts. Um, but I know what it means to be a player, and I know what it means to the fans, um, and how much they they do like to follow the journeys of the players. They they really do. I mean, I remember maybe from my youth cup game, we had to delay kickoff fifteen minutes because the fans were trying to get in. I mean, just that's just for a youth cup game, and we have up team thousands at the uh, semi-final. So, it's, so in terms of the points for the fans, I think it's really massive. They like, they like to follow the journey of these lads because they know what it means to put on the yellow and green, really, really at the end of the day. I'm not saying other people from outside don't, but they just, they just feel that. I mean, everyone likes to see Todd do well, don't they? Everyone likes to see Todd score a goal and, and do what he does um, on a weekly basis. But yeah, that's sort of... Um, have any of those guys who are in the first team at the moment, the guys who've come through the academy, how much uh, involvement have you had with the likes of Todd and, and Max and those guys? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I knew Toddy probably before, before most. I mean, I coached his older brother um, in one of my first seasons, who, who was funny enough a winger, I think, at the time as well. Um, Toddy, Toddy's probably the main one. I, I think I worked with Toddy for... A season maybe and I kind of supported on when he was in through the school's program um totally be the main one and then the others sort of went into the 18s and I'd go out and just sort of help and just talk to him and take him on a few little fun games and stuff during the day I mean me and Al play Toddy and Max at head tennis and even now they, they can't beat us now I mean they try but they just can't um he called us out recently apparently I was speaking to Max not that long ago they want to play another game I'm I'm not too sure he does. I think I'll dent his confidence a little bit even more. But we'll have to stream that live on YouTube. That'll be good. <laughs> no, no, don't. No, that'll kill their confidence. I wouldn't want to do it. Sure. Do it. Well, did did their progression surprise you at all? Did did the guys who are performing and of you know people like Jamal and Ben who've obviously moved on now from the first team, but did their their progression into the first team and their success when they got there has that surprised you? I like to say no because I, I always believe in our, our players. I don't listen. Do I think they would have been as good as they are? I don't think anyone probably would have would have put, 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 said that. Sorry, um, but I do remember one special moment that, that stuck with me with Todd throughout my sort of whole coaching career. We were, I think it might have been under 11s or under 12, something like that. We were playing in the dome, six v six, seven v seven, 
and he picks the ball up off the goalkeeper. He'll tell you if you see him, ask him. And he goes around the whole team. Tottenham goes around the whole team. Goalie comes out, whoops it around the goalie, stops the ball on the line, gets on his knees, heads it in. I mean, that that was just the factor that you think, wow, that's like so to have the confidence and the ability to do that. You always think, wow, that that's that's a special kid there. That's a special player. Was it always easy along his journey, Toddies? No. Yeah, he found it tough when he started to grow and, and now you see him sort of the six foot whatever he is lad that he is today. But in terms of Toddy, sort of, you always knew he had a little bit of um, special in him. Well, hang on. When he stopped the ball on the line and he's nodded it over with his head, that doesn't sound to me very Norwich City with the current academy setup. Were there, were there any repercussions for that? Uh, no comment. No comment. But I was clapping. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because we, we I, listen. We don't see that often. I mean, growing up, the lads from have other sort of come from different clubs in London. I mean, it's hard to compete, but we're getting better. Um, but the way I've never seen it before, and I thought, fair play, you're just playing like you would play anyway. You just he, he just loved the game, Toddy especially. I, I can only speak for Toddy younger down because I obviously knew him and his family growing up. But he just loved the game. Someone to do that, I just thought was, was absolutely brilliant. And as like I said, it's always stuck in my memory, and I think it probably will. What have you made of the way the things have gone for the first team this season? Uh, I think it's been um, in terms of how the season finished last year. The whole club has sort of stuck together because I think it's easy when everyone's on the up. It's easy for everyone to go, oh, "Yeah, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that. We do this. We do that." That that's the easy part. It's when sort of you sort of had a kick in the teeth. And then you, you find out truly about people and how they react and players and, and all credit to them. I mean, I, I watch as many games as the first team as I can and they, they do really play some lovely football and the mentality of them and like is absolutely outstanding. And Grant Hanley at the back has been brilliant this season. Been brilliant this season. And, and to be fair, all of them are really nice guys. Like anytime you sort of speak to them, like I said, Emmy come to watch the other game. I mean, Toddy and Max all come across. Grant Hanley watches training when he can. He just stands there and has a word, asks a few questions. I mean, that really sort of is like, I can't, unless you're sort of in it, I can't describe how sort of joined up approach it is. But yeah, I think what they've been doing this season is, is brilliant, but it will only be even better until they finish the job off. Mm. It's interesting. You sort of suggest there that whilst it's brilliant, we're winning regularly now at the moment and, and things are looking fantastic, hopefully for a return to the Premier League. There's actually quite a lot of merit in the fact that at the start of the season, I don't know, the first five games, whatever it was, where it wasn't quite so smooth, no. sticking to those principles and actually keeping that belief is actually perhaps to be celebrated more than doing it whilst we're winning every week. Yeah, de yeah, definitely. I think we've got the clear philosophy now on terms of what we want to do, how we want to do it, um, what we believe in. And that's not just Daniel and Stuart, that's from the under-9s coach to Daniel and Stuart to yourselves at CSF to Kate Ewan at the club. I think everyone has to believe in what we're doing. And it's either you fit in or find somewhere else. I mean, that, that's as clear as that. Um, but it's really important. And like you say, it's having that belief in, in what we're doing and the way we're doing it is the way we want to work. And I think it's, it's enjoyable. It's fun, I mean, as well. And it's hard work and it's demanding. I think all them things that adds up, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, talking of having fun, Greg, I was uh, recently on the Academy social media channels and I was watching the Academy Skills Challenge and I saw you and a colleague demonstrating quite an important one there. Can you, can you perhaps tell me why you chose that particular skill to highlight in, for the Academy Skills Challenge? <laughs> I've had a, I've had a bit, of, bit of interest in this, this little uh, technique. I mean... It, it's there every week. Everyone sees the passing. Um, now, nah, it's like I said, it's a bit, it's a bit in jest because what I see a lot of in football and people at the park and everywhere you go, people just want to try the Ronaldo step over or the chop or all these fancy things. When I think most of football is passing and receiving, it, 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 it truly is. And when you when you actually watch football. It is that like you you can break down some people's games and other people have magic moments like I said Todd watched remember watching Todd at I think it was Birmingham away where we cross it on the edge of the box and we break away and we go off there's going to be times when you need to pull out a bit of skill like that but more often than not you have to practice the the basics of the game 
which is passing and receiving five to ten yards but consistently and, and I that's why I was okay at it I mean I liked a nice diagonal ball but you know but it's because all I did was practice that growing up ball against the wall bang bang right and left foot right and left foot bang 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 and it's just really about not just our academy lads but anyone who wants to play the game at any game any age you've got to be able to learn to to pass the ball and that's not just because it's sort of our first team's philosophy any local life you've got to pass the ball any level you have to pass the ball so that's my advice if any I don't think any kids will listen to this one but any parents were listening to this my advice would be just practice passing and receiving that that's sort of the main bit in terms of development for me yeah, so it was not just a, a hilarious bit of content delivered deadpan. It actually, serious message underneath is that is what you're teaching our young players to do, essentially, first of all, before before the, the flicks and tricks. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. And I, I think I, I tried to get that younger down as well. So one thing I, I pride myself on is knowing every player in the academy. So from under nines to under tens, I haven't been able to get around the under nines, which is my fault at the moment, as well as COVID restrictions in terms of sort of certain bubbles. But I pride myself on, I want to work with every age group. I want to work with every player. I want to spread the messages from 18s to 23s down to the under nine, to the under six, um, pre-academy and, and, and things like that. So I think as best I can, I try and get that message across the board. And funny enough, I've been saying the same thing for, Years, I can remember there was one lad who texted me afterwards who I coached maybe five or six years ago and he said, I love it that you're still trying to teach people just to pass the ball. I mean, it's a simple thing, but the lads the lads love it. The lads love it, they do. Yeah, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. So, Greg, you know, your journey with Norwich City, as you said, started at eight. Academy player, academy coach, uh, academy coach and, of course, Norwich City fan, of course. Why is this club so special and what does it mean to you? Um, it means everything to me. I mean, I'm, yeah, as you know me, when I'm, I like to joke, I like to have a laugh. But, but on a serious note, this club has sort of given me every, everything. It, it really has. And I've given everything back to it. So we've, sort of, we've had a mutual agreement, I think, as a club that we've sort of, we have to work, each other, work hard and respect each other. But it's just, like I said, little things. With the, and the people who come in here have to sort of live to sort of the Norwich ways. Like, like I said about Sammy and Delia, the way they handled me back then what I try and do now for people is the way people look after people I mean Hux is still around Holy's still around we look we look after people and it's just people helping people and sort of being a real together with the community I mean I mean you know you guys do some great stuff at the CSF um, throughout the whole community and spread the message and it's just the whole county just wants to work together and obviously everyone wants the club to do well but it's just about for me it just generally comes down why it means so much to me it's just people helping people and trying to better each better everyone's lives and looking after each other. And it's really as genuine as that, that I think anyone who sort of walks in and wears a Norwich badge truly believes that too. And I, and I hope that long way that continue. Hmm. No, absolutely. Greg, it's been, uh, it's great fun as always. Hopefully I'll get to see you in person at some point. It's been like about a year and a half now, but at some point it'd be great to see you again. And and thanks for giving up your time and coming to chat to us on the podcast. No problem, Wayne. Thanks. Thank you. No worries. All the best for the season. Well, there we go. I told you he was a bit of a character and it was great to get a little insight into the life of an academy player and how they're supported along their development pathway. Remember, if you're enjoying the All in Yellow series, please do share it with fellow Norwich fans as we've got some great guests lined up in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening. I hope you can join Alice and me for the next episode. In the meantime, have a great week. Mm-hmm.